Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. People saying that that is a move towards artificial general intelligence. And that's where things start to get real interesting, I think, in terms of what that means for our work. If uh, if a, if a, an AI is all of a sudden all of a sudden has the label of artificial general intelligence, that's where it starts to be able to do anything a human can do. Um, so there's steps towards that, which makes me go, maybe we do need to slow down. Welcome back to a massive 2024 season of Humans of Purpose. Hope you've had a terrific break. One was low-key, but really great, restful and rejuvenating. Key highlights included cherry picking an American barbecue in Red Hill, visiting the Melbourne Museum and Zoo with Marlo, who got to see elephants, monkeys and giraffes for the first time. First off, a big thank you to our major sponsor, Neon Treehouse, for all their wonderful social media support. You'll be learning more about Neon Treehouse in coming weeks and months and share more about their incredible work and their full suite uh, of digital services to take your business to the next level. This week on the podcast, I bring you my conversation with Lee Schofield. Lee is co-founder of Future for Now. Future for Now are your strategic partners, educators, and guides in the ever-evolving world of artificial intelligence, automation, and low-code technologies. They specialize in being futurists that go beyond the hype and focus on the real-world applications of technologies. I was lucky enough to meet Lee uh, after seeing her speak at the Purpose Conference late last year. Really enjoyed meeting her and briefly touching on her ideas around the rapid pace of AI change, AI ethics, practical considerations, and where things are headed now and in future. This is a really good chat and to get a local perspective on the rapidly emerging AI landscape, how it interfaces today and in future with your workplace, your life, your social and community networks, and more. Also good one to think about useful tools and frameworks to stay on top of workplace innovation, uh, governance, and ethics around AI too. We've got some terrific promotional partners lined up for 2024, and I'm looking forward to sharing more with you about this in coming weeks. If you'd like to secure your season one-month or two-month promotional package, now is the time to do so because we've only got 10 months left in our calendar year for bookings and half our spots are already booked up. We've had some great feedback from happy clients to date who are seeing increased website and social traffic, increased product and service sales, as well as improved lead generation, more inbound queries, and great reputational gains too. Whatever your marketing goals are for the year, we can work on a winning solution together. To learn more, just check out uh, the link in our show notes or head to humansofpurpose.com and click on our partners page. I hope you enjoy our, my conversation with Lee as much as I did. Lee, great to be with you this morning. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Thanks, Mike, for having me. How are you? I'm good. I was blown away by your talk at the Purpose Conference. I thought it was just incredible. I love the AI stuff. I'm very much an amateur, of course, but talking about the shift from the attention economy to the intimacy economy and how you put up that wonderful, I think, stolen manufactured avatar of Sam Kerr was just terrifying and exciting and, and sort of tickled me in all the right brain spots at once. So well done on a tremendous presentation there. 
No, oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, I don't think it was um, stolen. So it, from my understanding with Sam Kerr, it's that Meta has uh, essentially li- a li- is licensing her digital likeness for a period of a couple of years. So it's interesting, though. That, there's not that much information around it in terms of what the actual, yeah, what's behind it yeah. all. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's just say the alleged theft. I, I, that's m- more misinformation. <laughs> I don't want Meta suing me or anything. So we'll just say the appropriate licensing of Sam Kerr's likeness, which I think is interesting and Made me just think, actually, that, you know, I play the, all the FIFA games pretty addictively. And I know every year they go through this big process of licensing every player in the league to get their likeness. And as the technology evolves, they look more and more like real people doing what those people do in how they celebrate, move and everything. So, no, very, very much an interesting space. But look, great way to open up would be to try and understand a little bit more about your journey, what, how you had the idea to start Future for Now, your background. Maybe what led you to that choice to start Future for Now and how it's all going? Yeah, brilliant. I'll go back to, you know, the beginning kind of and start with where what I studied. So I always was really very interested in economics and, you know, through high school was one of my favorite subjects. I ended up studying economics. And the reason why I found economics so interesting is because of it being a giant system, essentially, and it underpinning incentives and how we behave. And so throughout my career, I've always had that sort of perspective of system design and what what underpins everything. And so when ChatGPT came on last year in November, and I jumped on, you know, at the start of this year, actually, I realized that it kind of changes economics <laughs> and that it is a big, big seismic shift that we're about to go under in terms of it being part of the fourth industrial revolution and how that's going to flow on into work, uh, into the workplace, and also how it's going to impact our jobs. And so it being very much a techno-social thing that we're going through at the moment, it's not just technology, it's, it's the interrelation between social science and technology. That was very interesting to me. So I ended up talking to, a, to an old colleague of mine about the potential of creating Future for Now, which is a essentially a organization that is looking at helping train and upskill staff, taking them through, taking through organizations into what that sort of strategic approach in this next era is for their businesses, how it changes their processes and kind of the technologies and tools that might be useful in their organization. Because when you think about an industrial revolution, if we look at the, the second industrial revolution, which was the, the uh, assembly line was a big part of that it was actually a process improvement that essentially unlocked a lot of uh, growth and AI has the potential to, to do the same in this, in this particular revolution. So very interesting. But yeah, that's why, why I started uh, Future for Now. Wonderful. And it sort of seems very much like you know, the commonality with other revolutions, although it's so different in nature, would be the productivity gains are always immense in these revolutions. And you know, one thing that's going through my mind as you speak about what you're doing, which is so important, is how organic it has been um, and how fast the introduction of AI has been has been unleashed into our individual and work lives. You know, I remember going to work maybe a year ago or a year and year, year and a couple of months ago and all of a sudden ChatGPT was there and people were just like doing all kinds of wacky things with ChatGPT, doing all, all sorts of correspondence, documents, some of the basic stuff. And then, you know, we had Bard and we had a whole bunch of other things and then you get each new release, it gets better and more lifelike and it, it seemed to be so organic and then you had workplaces sort of saying oh, hold on a second we don't have any policies or procedures to regulate this because it's moving so fast 
<laughs> so maybe if we just ask you a little bit about that, about that tension of the sort of the organic shift to AI and ad- adoption of that fourth industrial revolution of technology and the lack of pre-planning for that because it was so sudden and now connected age just immediate for so many. Yeah, well, I think what is uh, interesting as a comparison to this is a little bit like when social media came came on, and you know, there's Instagram and Facebook, and all the, a lot of big brands were trying to navigate how how to actually use it. But what you would have is like this bottom up effect where people were on social media, the employees, and were using it in such a way, and without the policies in place from top down, um, it meant that it was being misused in some instances, and you know, there were you know some some t- some some instances where people were showing and taking photos of uh, and posting onto social media of you know brand secrets or things that hadn't been launched yet and you go well wait we need um, a regular we need to have some policies and regulation in place within our organization and so it did happen organically and we're seeing a similar thing happen with AI where it can be you know people's dirty little secret where they might be using ChatGPT on the side to to do their work but without the proper regulation or policies in place in, a, in an organization, that that can turn into some, you know, pretty inconsistent ways of using these tools. Mm. And also that, yeah, definitely, you know, people are some, there are lots of instances of uh, people using ChatGPT where they're feeding private information or confidential information that they shouldn't and not understanding how the technology works and that that, that does go into the training data in future models. So, I think there's a lack of understanding there and that organic way that it's evolving because it's happening so fast and it's so powerful. I mean, it's a general purpose technology, AI. Mm. And yeah, that is really having that huge impact through a ripple effect throughout organizations. Yeah, it's it's also funny. I think there's almost like a, a level of unawareness that people have when they get swept up in that excitement to use the technology where, you know, if you're on the other side, I've seen, you know, investor notes and EOIs and this sort of thing and all kinds of emails come in that are clearly AI generated. And for me, being sort of somebody who's interested in brand connection and, and social capital, uh, trust being, you know, the biggest driver of that, it worries me that custodians of a brand would allow themselves to kind of jump in and, and not do it well enough so that I couldn't tell that it wasn't a staff member writing to me. You know, there's sort of like trust implications there. Absolutely. I think the trust is a huge thing in this in, in this period that we're going into. I think that brand trust is going to be like the, the uh, one of the big differentiators and people that have or companies that have good policy in place and transparent around how they're using it are going to do much better. What are you seeing around uptake of AI tools and applications by business folks uh, would be my first question. And as a second part of that, you know, how well are they actually deploying or using that technology internally for their ends? Yeah, I think that it is interesting when we do our training, we go through a period, a survey before going through the training and then after the training and we ask about uptake and how frequently people are using it and how comfortable they feel. And often there is, it, it often, because of how, how impactful and useful ChatGPT is, I often find it quite interesting how little people are using it. But I think that that's probably because they are trying to, they're waiting for their company to tell them how they can use it. So I would say there's this, maybe people are playing with it, but they are hesitant in terms of actually implementing it into their workflows so far, but that once the once they feel more comfortable with in, term, in terms of the how to use it, the limitations, the risks, then they can feel safe and responsible in how they're using it. And so then the uptake goes up. But I think in organizations that often the one, the, the, the thing that we're noticing is that 
ChatGPT is sometimes the only thing that uh, only generative tool that people have played with. Maybe they've played with Midjourney. That's often a, a second. But the fact that there is, you know, multiple large language models and also multiple interfaces that go on top of these large language models that can be used for very, you know, specific use cases that people are not not aware of them. And so they are sometimes using the tools that are not quite right for what they're doing. And also, you know, that's the same with our goes to, goes with our image generators that there's so many different ones of them. And it's not just mid journey. And so I think that there's this 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 not there's ChatGPT, and that's usually the thing that people use. But there's the lack of awareness that there's literally tens of thousands of different tools now. And so navigating which ones are the best ones to use is is part of that process. So a bit of a no-brainer question as a lead on then. What are the least known best AI tools that you like to use and recommend to businesses for different applications and purposes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I do love ChatGPT, but definitely the plus version. I mean, I, I, I think that the $20 US dollar a month subscription to, to plus is really important and, and fantastic, and t- particularly since they've been rolling out a whole bunch of new features lately. So definitely that is on on the list. I also use, and you probably know this from the 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 talk that I did at Purpose Conference that I really like Pi, which is a conversational AI, and uh, you know that I introduced Pi to the the audience, which was quite fun. It's a very <laughs> good, useful, uh, chatty, chatty chatbot, and really good for brainstorming. And I actually do recommend that to a lot of, particularly executives, where they might need to you know go and sort of bounce ideas off something. That it's a really good brainstorming tool. So I do think it's fantastic for that. But now ChatGPT actually has voice, and I think they've released it to the free tier as well. So, you know, I recommend a walk and talk with an AI as long as you're not giving away too, you know, too many, any corporate secrets or uh, anything too confidential. It's good for brainstorming ideas. The other one that I do use is, I do use DALI 3, which is also owned by OpenAI. And you can use that in a couple of different places. So you can use it in Bing Chat as well as OpenAI's plus tier. And what's amazing about that is that it now can do it can actually write as well as uh, or do do uh, letters, whereas previously a lot of these image generators couldn't. I also use Eleven Labs sometimes for a voiceover, so that's quite a useful tool. And recommend that if you know if there's a creative industry, you can get a commercial license with those voices, so creative companies are able to to use that for voiceovers. What else? And also, I should note that Perplexity is pretty good, which is a it uses Anthropic, which is a competitor of OpenAI as well as ChatGPT. So it's got two models that are in there. But what's great about it is that it's sort of like Google meets ChatGPT in that it really sources the the what the information that it's bringing up really well. And I think that that's something that ChatGPT doesn't do very well in that it hallucinates quite a bit. And you know, all of these large language models hallucinate, so that's where they come up with the you know nonsensical or n- not accurate information. And that can really tr- can really trip people up. In fact, there was this uh, case in America where a lawyer uh, used ChatGPT to come up with all of these cases. Oh uh, yes, um, to support, I remember this one. Yeah, yeah, to support uh, to support his case, and then went in, and all of them were in fact they weren't correct <laughs> cases; they weren't real. And then the the judge was like, "How did you find these?" And he's like, "Yeah, ChatGPT," and it shows so shows the judge on ChatGPT, and it's just yeah. Completely incorrect. And so, you know, there's those things, but perplexity helps because it, it it actually sources and you can click through to it and then you're able to actually verify. And Bard does that as well, which is Google's large language model. So yeah, anyway, I'm getting off track a little bit, but there's a lot of different, a lot of different tools that 
depend on the use that I'm that I'm after, to be honest. And I do recommend those tools frequently to organizations, depending on what they're what they're actual, you know, what they're doing. <laughs> okay, personal sharing, but also personal interest question time. I am often asked to do PowerPoints and I, I like as a bit of an old school geezer, I don't mind Microsoft PowerPoint, but I understand that that time is, you know, will soon pass us by with much better options out there. One that I found online that's fantastic is called Tome AI. Do you know Tome? Yeah, I have. I have seen Tome. Um, I haven't, I, I've, I've watched their videos. I've, I've played with a couple of the different presentation ones, but I do know Tome. And I think that, yeah, it's, it, I agree with you. Presentations are about to undergo a really big shift. How yep. does Tome work? Does it, is it, is it one of those ones where it, you can chat to the slides or is it, yeah. That's, yeah, it's, that's... it's kind of like, it, look, it, it, I think it's still going through its own you know, 0.5 build revolution and where it changes frequently. But the, it, the last time that I used it, you'll basically write a, a brief of what you want it to do and it goes off and does it. And then you can just say, no, this is what I'm looking for. Actually, can you do this on this slide? Can you change this? And then it gives you a bit of manual options too. So if, if, the, if the bot's not doing what you need it to do, you can actually step in and manually do it and then tell the bot what to change about it. It's yep. good. It's a bit cumbersome. I found it incredibly useful as almost a brainstorming parallel production tool. So mm. when I last used it, I had to develop up a conference brief or a yeah, conference prospectus brief for our next year's conference based on this year's conference. And just asking it to do that, it, it scoured the web and did a really good effort over seven slides that were really well formatted. And what, what was helpful about it is that it it told me what is the correct information flow and sections required and even some of the content that would appeal to customers. So I like that, but I wondered whether you had any better ideas around presentation AI tools yeah. that are out there. Well, it's interesting because the so I'll, I'll talk about one that's similar to that. That's Gamma, mm-hmm. Gamma AI. And that one is where, again, you give it a bit of a prompt, you tell it about the presentation you want to mock up. and but what is uh, what I really enjoy about it is that it does have a chat interface on the side, and you're kind of just talking to it, and you're going, "Oh, can you change the background from blue to green, and change the font to this?" So it's like, "Oh, soon we'll just be talking to our devices, and mm. that it will, rather than sort of even typing, I think, and that it'll just be update, updating real time as you're as you're having that conversation." So that's a fun one to play around with. I think that in terms of the developments that are happening on in some of the bigger, well-established companies, is that Microsoft has launched their Copilot which for enterprise customers uses generative AI inside of PowerPoint or inside of Word or Excel. So people are going to be able to just talk to their slides soon there as well. And, and also generate because, because Microsoft has that partnership with OpenAI, it means that DALI 3 is part of that. So it'll be able to generate images that are appropriate for the particular slide you're writing on. And then finally, I would say that Canva is, you know, they're, they're, they're developing quickly generative AI tools as well. I've played with it. I mean, it's early days, but I think it's going to be quite powerful where you can write a prompt and it comes up with uh, your your deck as well. So it's, um yeah, so there's there's a lot, a lot evolving. I think that it will end up being that perhaps a lot of these big guys end up buying some of or acquiring some of the, the really powerful generative AI slides or just, you know, adopting some of the, uh, the, the features. I do think that there is an issue these days in terms of moat and defensibility of business models yep. and that it's so easy to replicate so many of these features, which is why, you know, there's all this thing called G- GPT wrappers, essentially, where it's just an interface on top of a large language model and what's the defensibility of that really. So 
it's interesting. We'll see how it goes. But I think, you know, that I've certainly found that it's quicker to be able to mock up a quick presentation. And then I kind of like you, I have it as a side thing where I go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. But then I might actually still be using um, my PowerPoint for, you know, the actual deck itself. I like that. Great response. Very holistic. Hey, listen, are you one of these folks who believes that we things are moving too fast and perhaps a, a pause in AI development is necessary for everyone to catch a breath, take take a bit of time and consider where all of this is heading and develop some sort of global regulation mechanism or regime to keep everything in some sort of order? Or is that just not not worthwhile doing? Well, what I think is interesting is obviously, yeah, there was this big debacle over the cu- last couple of weeks with OpenAI and and the board and Sam Altman being stepped down and then stepped back up as CEO and a bunch of it in between. And you can see that there's stuff going on in the background. And there's a lot of speculation about why that why that's happening. There's something called QSTAR. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's a, a breakthrough that apparently it, it's all speculation. And this is the thing, you, you just don't know what's actually happening. So maybe to your point, yes, we need to slow down because it seems like there are so many different things happening all at once. But QSTAR was essentially apparently a breakthrough in terms of, you know, how well large, large, large language models are good at language, but they're not great at maths. And apparently QSTAR is a breakthrough in terms of how, it, how it's able to process and uh, y- y- do, do maths, basically. And, and that would there's people saying that that is a move towards artificial general intelligence. And that's where things start to get real interesting, I think, in terms of what that means for our work. If, if, if an AI is all of a sudden, all of a sudden has the label of artificial general intelligence, that's where it starts to be able to do anything a human can do. So there's steps towards that, which makes me go, maybe we do need to slow down because the alignment of these models is interesting because I think people talk a lot about alignment as being watch out Skynet's coming and we need to make sure that the model's not going to take over us or that it's going to be you know how was it nine thousand or whatever it is in um in a space <laughs> odyssey space odyssey yeah 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 and you know that we have to make sure that these models are aligned with us but actually I'm thinking increasingly that the alignment problem is an alignment problem of humanity it's like how do we decide how these models actually work and we need to hold space for a lot of different perspectives and you know that comes back to that sort of systems thinking of you know what what are all of the things that we need to consider here whether that's the bias the data that's training it and that there are issues in terms of not considering those things properly and you are seeing i think you'll you'll see a lot of a lot of women in this space on the ethics side of it and in fact, even with the OpenAI board, it seemed to be a clash between, I, I'm not sure this is true, but a clash between Sam Altman and uh, the, the Helen Toner, I think is her, her name, and has a very, you know, she's, she's, she takes more of a safety approach. So I think that if we can't align, if they, if they can't align in a board of four or five or however many people were on the, the board at the time, how are we going to align as a society, right? So there is that sort of issue around alignment of our own perspectives and everyone has worldviews. And, you know, I spoke about this a little bit at the Purpose Conference as well, that, you know, people are designing opinions into AIs and then, okay, what opinions can you design into AIs? And are we taking this away from being a tool and utility into something entirely different? And so, yeah, I think we need to have a slow approach, but I'm also, I also know that it's probably very difficult to slow this down. 
And I think the reality is that it's we are there. Are, there's a race dynamic now. Yeah. And if you look at things like game theory, what what you know what cooperation looks like versus you know going and being secretive and and developing things on the in the background, are people going to stop? There are also open source models, which means that anyone in the on the planet can kind of go away and be working on these. So, yeah. I, I think. think um, that, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. No, no, no. no I, was I, was just, I, I was just thinking, like you know, if we even take that like two forty-eight hour period where. Sam Altman was fired by the board and Sam Altman was hired by Microsoft and Sam Altman was back at OpenAI and sacked the board himself. It, like, I mean, for me, that's a great sort of, you know, almost a, a summary of maybe what the entire space is going through in terms of its turmoil. It can't just be the, the HR department at OpenAI is terrible. This is like, you know, that clash of ideas around aggressive capitalism, I'd call it, versus slower thinking ethics, you know, considerate design, you know, principle, design principles, design thinking, they seem to be some fairly key tensions emerging from all this. Yes, I absolutely agree. I think that the the open AI debacle is a really good example of it. And I don't, it's not just exclusive to them. It's just that they are a, you know, a big company and that did happen. Mm. And Sam Altman is one of the, the leads in, in the space. And so seeing that that crazy, you know, 48 hours or whatever it was, I think that uh, my, my feed was just constantly full for <laughs> For two days about speculation on what was happening and all sorts of you know all sorts of things, but yeah, how do we align and how how do we look at the design principles behind it? Because ultimately, every decision matters. And if we had have thought about this properly when it came to social media and thinking about things like the infinite scroll and a lot of the ways we designed the technology, then that has had a you know downstream impact, right? Oh, shocking! So, yeah, yeah. And so I think that. If we don't stop and think about how we're designing things, that it, it it's going to cause very similar and potentially even bigger impacts. And I think that that is an issue that we we don't think in, in a system, and also that the incentives are wrong. And this comes back to you know economics, right? And that to your point, excessive capitalism. And when the incentive system that is underpinning everything is you know an advertising model or whatever that is. It means that you're designing features that are going to try to get people to click more on, you know, click and buy particular products. And so those incentive structures are all underpinning the design of these models. And that's a concern because, yeah, it it just kind of, I think that's where that tension comes from. I think you're spot on. And I think, I mean, one, one argument that I've heard from the aggressive or excessive capitalism side of thinking is that Pandora's box is well and truly open. I mean, as you said, already got open source developer communities everywhere. You've got big, you know, big S&P 500 and, you know, listed tech companies just going bananas, doing all this stuff themselves without any global sheriff or, or, or police force looking at this and deeply thinking about it. And much like social media, I mean, it, now that Pandora's box is open i mean can it really be closed can there be any meaningful efforts toward regulation and 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 when i ask you that i ask you to consider sort of efforts to globally look at climate change as an example and you know really what you see is these loose attempts at getting some sort of targets met that get changed every few years and countries just decide oh wait we have an economy that we need to keep fueling and that sort of tends to predominate. So is it too late? I mean, like, is this regulation argument kind of superfluous at this point? I think it's difficult. 
I, I am not sure where where this goes, but I suppose when you think about what has created a global cooperation in the past, the thing that we can think of as close to this is, you know, the n- nuclear and how everyone kind of cooperated in the end around around that. Though there's still you know a lot of tension, but it's sort of this. I, it's harder because not every. I mean, people can't just have a nuclear bomb in their apartment. <laughs> Right, so it, there's there's a lot more barriers there than with AI. So I think that mm. the containment is harder for this, and maybe to your point, it it yeah, it maybe it's it's going to it will definitely be difficult to regulate this properly. And it is such a complex thing. I think I think that it's not just technology. It's you know they're trying to build intelligence, and what does that you know what does that mean? It's a, such a philosophical period that we're entering in terms of what do we want it to be. And to 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 the point that I was making before is that is it a tool or what is it what else what else could it be and what is what are people trying to design into it? Yeah, like what and Lee, maybe I'm curious about what do you want it to be? Because I mean, even you talked mm. about how you brainstorm with a bot. Like, is that an enjoyable experience that's added value to your life? Is that something that you would prefer ideally a, a person to be doing, or you're just happy for that to for technology to take us there? Oh no, I definitely think that it's um it's important to still have humans <laughs> humans in the room and I get a lot more out of the conversations that I have with some of my some of my friends that are, you know, in similar similar spaces and have similar thoughts. Those conversations are much better. But if I'm trying to brainstorm for an article that I want to write or or that I am, you know, or an idea for and whatever it might be, it can be good to just just have something that has this full knowledge of ev- not of everything, but of so much, and it's it it sort of helps fill some gaps, which I can then go down some rabbit holes, and it's it's less of a linear approach to research in a way that like a, it's sort of it you don't even know where you're going to end up. So it's like a conversation, I guess, which I, yep. I which I kind of like. You know, I think that that's the part of conversational AI I like is that I can start somewhere and not know where I'm going to end up. Whereas maybe with I mean I think that's the same with search and Google and stuff, but there is a little difference because obviously it. It is asking you questions back, and that is a difference in terms of, you know, it's not one way anymore, it's two way. And so that I think that it can definitely uh, help you come up with ideas and brainstorm in a, in a really good way. So I, I, I'm not someone that goes, I, I think that we need to hold lots of perspectives here, and I think it's difficult to do that, but that there are good things about AI, definitely, and we can use this technology in such an impactful way. You know, I just saw a breakthrough this week with radiology where it's really pushing the, the ability to diagnose and identify cancer so far ahead. And these are amazing uses of AI. That's not, that's not generative, I don't think. It might be. I don't think so. But the, the fact that AI can be used in good ways is, it means that we need to consider how we're using it. But we do want to use it. It's de- definitely not something that you want to not use. There are certain industries where it's going to have huge impact and potentially on the, on the climate as well, you know, everything from having better logistics in ships that mean that the oil consumption that are on ships uh, is reduced, you know, so like it's able to align that path better. And so th- there are so many great uses. And then we've got the other side of it where you go, well, people are using it in really dangerous ways. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's such, a, it's a, such a hard question to, to yeah. answer, to be honest. I think your answer is good because what I gathered from that is that there's a particular application or purpose that, that, that you know that it plays as a tool to improve your life or your work, but it's not replacing a person or a social connection. What I get 
worried thinking about is like, do we get to a stage where AI pushes us further away from human connection and social connection that we desperately need as a society going through the biggest loneliness pandemic, I think, in our history? When, when I read news stories like, you know, in, in Asia and other parts of the world where people are using these tools to have relationships with bots because they're resemblant enough of their kind of ideal look and personality that it's just easier to date a bot, you know, bring your computer to your, your parents for dinner and say, meet my new missus. I mean, for me, that's a little bit going too far, but curious to get your thoughts. I mean, is that a good solution maybe where people can't find mateship elsewhere? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a, again, I think it's a complex question and it's, it reminds me of the movie Her for sure. Big time, yeah. <laughs> um, and I always really enjoyed that movie, but it is, it's this sort of, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, it's a bizarre thought to think that that relationships might end up, well, for some people, and they already are, <clears throat> to your point. I think that the, there's a company called Replica that's been building these for a long time where you build your AI soulmate. And some people do get a lot of that, and I, and I, I'm, I guess some for some people it is useful, you know, and it is it's it's filling a particular emotionally, you know, emotional gap or whatever that might be, and it can be a companion. So it's hard to 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 say whether that's that's a good thing or or not for society, but it certainly is helpful for some people. I think that we should be trying though as a society to meet each other on you know and connect with each other deeper and better because we've definitely started to lose that and that's through you know a lot of the technology that we have i mean you imagine 30 years ago how different it, how different it was with how we connected with each other because we didn't have mobiles we weren't like our necks craned over a phone constantly looking for that sort of <laughs> dopamine hit so it, yeah technology changes how we inter in, in, interrelate and connect and i think that there is a danger there for sure yeah, it's it's a scary world where I think about people just being that tied up in their their phones and their you know support companion bot models that maybe they're missing a lot of opportunities to connect with people in the real world. And I just think you know how distracted we are at the moment is crazy compared to past times. Brings me to want to just zone in a little bit on on your focus on that shift from the attention economy to the intimacy economy. So I think I think people would generally understand the, the idea of the attention economy, wanting people to be focused on their screens or their tools or their apps, and that's how a lot of these models like Facebook and, and whatnot make their money. What What is the intimacy economy and what's the shift that we're sort of being uh, privy to right now? Yeah, well, this is a, a term that uh, Yuval Noah Harari came up with earlier this year, and it looks at how companies are designing these particularly conversational AIs in such a way that it develops intimacy with the user. And I guess if you extrapolate that out, what happens is that if there's a particular personality that is being reflected back at you and making you feel a sense of trust and intimacy with the bot, you start to talk about very um, deep thoughts and uh, feelings of your own and sharing those with the bot. And obviously, What's the what, what's underpinning all of the design of a lot of these large language models is more data, more data, more data, and that's similar to attention economy. Is that you know every time we clicked on something, it was a an, an extra little node that gets added to our database, and they understand mm. a little bit more about us. But that the conversations that you can have with a bot that's being built in such a way that it is intimately connecting with you and and trying to reflect back your your desires 
that you start to disclose more and more information. And obviously, there there's not just one bot. It's not just one single oracle. And that means that the there'll be a race to build technology that, you know, in order to get their, you know, daily active users up, that they're going to be designing features into these conversational AIs to make sure that you are connected to the bot. So how useful is it to you? And how do you feel when you're talking to it? That you will choose a particular bot, whether that's, you know, for me, I, yeah, I, I use Pi for brainstorming a lot. But imagine if that's on a different level where it's more about intimacy and companionship and stuff like that. You're, you're going to see companies in a similar race to try to build that intimacy with their users and so that they can then obviously have data, obviously have, you know, whatever the, the, the incentive model is behind that, that. That's essentially what the intimacy economy is, that sort of shift to trying yep. to yeah, connect with the user. I can imagine it replacing one of my WhatsApp threads where it's just a bot instead saying, hey, did you see these shoes? Do you like these shoes? Or like, hey, did you see this stand-up comedian's coming? Are you going to go like like that? Yes. That's almost like you know because we're so busy. We've all got young families, etc. We've got busy jobs. I could see that being a thing where it's like, oh well, like why doesn't a bot just do that? And like, does it have to be a friend that plays that social function for me, just checking in and telling me about things that I'm interested in and saying, oh, did you see this game and the score? And I thought this highlight was great. I mean, we're we're probably already there or if not very close to that mm-hmm. and i fear that sort of intimacy that tech enabled intimacy i think that that to me is a little bit troubling yeah i i agree with that i think that it is very troubling and i think that it'll learn what you respond to best over time and i'll be like ah oh, this if i speak in this way and this is my, my conversational design behind behind it or whatever that it the, the bot, will, bot will learn that that's how they engage you and then it'll get better and better at that. So it'll become more and more like what a good friend becomes because it's kind of reflecting what you desire. And yeah, it, it, I think there is definitely a danger in that. And you said, I think you showed actually during your talk at Purpose Conference, some of the different conversational models out there or bots out there that actually very capable of having different personas. Well, I think you mentioned one in particular was particularly sassy mm-hmm. or had like a kind of good bantery vibes. Was that <laughs> Pi or what was well, that one? Yeah, that was Pi. Yeah, Pi, yeah, Pi, has, yeah. Uh, Pi has been designed in such a way. And I think it introduced itself as it's your sassy digital assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it identified its gender because I had the, because you can, <laughs> which was kind of odd. It was the first time I'd, <laughs> I'd had it identify its own gender because it yep. has six different voices. And you can choose between something that sounds more like a man and something that sounds more like a woman. And it identified as a woman in that instance. And I was like, that's really interesting. Bizarre. Anyway, kind of like, kind of, you know, where, where are these bots going? But yeah, it identified as your sassy digital assistant. And it does have a lot more personality than somewhere like ChatGPT is quite tool-like. And it's very, I think ChatGPT is a very positive Kind of person, it has a positive personality, but it's it's, certainly- it's like a nice vanilla person. It's like a nice yeah. vanilla friend that you have, you know. Yeah, exactly. Whereas it seems like that, and I think Rock is Twitter's one. So you know, let's think about Elon Musk's personality and uh, put that into a into a bot, <laughs> and that's what you're going to have. It's called Grok. Um, I mean, so, I'm sure so. a lot of people can't wait to have Elon Musk in their pocket talking to them all the time. It's it's not enough <laughs> that he's doing it on uh, X, but you you could have him uh, right there with you, all those listeners. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, You talk a little bit about you talk a bit about the the future of work and what all of this this means for that space. I I immediately start to think about jobs and job losses and functions that are being replaced. I mean, one of the most 
disrupted industries is uh, my old industry that I spent, you know, not long in, but I trained in was law. So, you know, there are not many first year lawyer jobs anymore because really those functions can all almost exclusively be done by AI tools. I mean, document search, precedent search, you know, formulating basic letters, identifying rules and regulations, you know, making copies of things and processing them, uh, letter generation. It's just so, even contract creation and due diligence is now being done. So it's sort of fascinating. Then I look at medicine and you cited that example around radiology before. And I just think, you know, that's one of the fields that most amenable to disruption because of image identification and, and overlay and that kind of thing. You know, do you, how do you think our economy will respond to the, the rapid growth of AI and, and its, and its emergence in the workplace? And is this about displacing jobs? Is it about, you know, people finding different ways to add value? Will workplaces have to change how they view human jobs? Just curious to get your take on that. Yeah. I think that what, if we look at history, there's always jobs that are lost in an industrial revolution. That's just a reality, whether that's the person that presses the button on the elevator for you and or if it's someone that's been shoveling horse manure out of the street because it was used to be horses that were on there. There are different jobs that sort of, you know, maybe some are able to transfer to others, but there will definitely be a change in jobs and ones that are more repetitive and easier to replicate are going to go first. And so I think that when you look at the law there's obviously different levels of law and and the the more that you need to use things like critical thinking and creativity and and strategic think, thinking the less likely it will it'll it will go that said you know technology changes quickly who knows what the the next uh, year is going to bring in terms of artificial intelligence but at this stage i would say that the the more repetitive or easy like if there's lots of patterns in terms of how your process, what your work process is, the more likely that that will be eventually taken by AI. But that o- over time, to your point, other industries might, you know, might evolve or come out of AI. But also I think that, you know, when you look at the ones that are not going to come come under AI as much are things like uh, care and stuff like that, so aged care, uh, because humans are, you know, there'll be, there'll be definitely robots that help that. <laughs> So, I mean, obviously, robots are going to come down the line as well. AI is first, though, so I guess cognitive work is the uh, first thing to go. But I think that we will still there will still be jobs, right? It's just that they might be different, and they also might be jobs that people don't want to do. So there's a difficulty here, yeah. And I, I don't know how quickly all of this is going to roll out, but certainly some jobs are easier to will be displaced quicker. Fascinating. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a fantastic answer. So do you think, when I, when I think about this space, I think a little bit about like maybe five years ago, like the learning to code movement and sort of like around how, you know, in a, not, not for the truckers, but more so that if you're a person working in a workplace, it would be a real advantage to learn to code for your workplace because you'd be able to do all sorts of other things. Is learning AI, the AI landscape, sort of like the new learn to code for productive office workers who want to excel in how they do their work? Like, I mean, if we look back or we look forward in a couple of years' time, do you think interviewers or PDs will start to include, you know, do you have any demonstrated skills using AI technologies to, to be more productive or that kind of thing? 
I, I think that's already starting to happen, to be honest, yep. is that there's yep. this desire from a lot of companies now to for people to be able to jump on the tools and understand how they work. So yes, I do think it's coding, it's, you know, almost coding 2.0. Funnily enough, a lot of code is now being AI generated. So you go, wow, you know, that. how long was that for? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, and how long will it be for uh, with AI as well? Uh, you know, when it comes to things like What's interesting is if you think of it, this as in the perspective of general purpose technologies, which are essentially technologies that impact every industry and of which AI is one of, there's only been about 24 in the history of humans. And that's everything from fire to writing to the printing press. And now we're at AI. But what's funny about general purpose technologies is that eventually they kind of become invisible. And so they sit in the background. We don't even think of them as technologies. Do we think of, mm. you know, virus technology? Not really. But yeah, it's sort of that sort of shift. So over time, AI might also, will also, a lot of it's already ubiquitous, but it sort of just shifts into the background. So uh, long-term, you know, that, that, that's, that how much do we need to know about AI? I'm not sure, but in the short term, definitely. And it's going to be a really impactful skill to have over the next few years, you know, and that that's, you know, defining this era, but also, just keep in mind that that this it's, a, it's rapidly evolving, and but it can't hurt having that curious mindset and learning mindset at the moment. That's exactly what you need in order to kind of try to embrace some of the tools. Just playing, I think. Play, I think play is really important at this point. Totally, yeah. totally. Very well said. Do you have? A, is there a book that you would recommend for people trying to really navigate this space, or just to learn a little bit more? Do you have a favorite sort of AI emergence book? <laughs> I, I have a couple. Can I have a couple? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, the one that I, I mean, it depends what, you, what you're after. So if you want to understand how AI works, I really enjoyed a book called A Human's Guide to Machine Intelligence. But that is very much understanding. It's not so much generative AI. It's just AI landscape and how AI works. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Then I also read Kate Crawford's Atlas of AI, which is, I don't know if you know Kate Crawford, but she is an Australian thing. She lives in, uh, in, in the States at the moment, but is very much at the head of that sort of ethics side of it. And she unpacks the system of AI. Uh, and I found that so interesting because it goes from everything from training data and why biases appear through to the environmental impacts of AI and how much water consumption a large language model requires. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, it, it shows the whole system. And then there's like a, a one that I'm in the middle of reading at the moment is The Coming Wave, which is the CEO of, or co-CEO of, uh, he might be the CEO of, um, of Inflection AI, which is who built Pi. But he has a really interesting perspective as well in terms of what we're about to go through as as a society. So I think it depends what you're interested in. So if you really, there's a th three very different things. So the first one being about how AI actually works and the algorithms behind it. One being about the AI system. And then the third one being about, oh, well, what does this mean for society? And I think that, that I'm really enjoying that sort of third one at the moment. But um, yeah. Fantastic. That's a terrific response. Hey, how can people connect with you and learn more about your wonderful work? Oh, yeah. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn and also we've got Future For Now. So futurefornow.world is our website. We also have a presence on LinkedIn. I have started to create some YouTube videos on on AI. That's a that's an early space for me, but the most of a lot of the information that I put up was on the futureforNow.world blog. And so I do write articles around that. But yeah, LinkedIn is probably my my main channel at the moment, I would say. So that's probably the best one to to, to follow up on. 
And have they implemented AI into LinkedIn a little bit? I think they have with some yeah. of the messages you can write. It's, it's actually really odd because I think when I was job searching, I remember you could do an AI-generated response to recruiters. And like I thought, oh, geez, I don't, have to, don't even have to do anything. That's taking about away a lot of the uh, endeavor and personalization. But there you go. Yeah, I think yeah, I think a lot of people are a bit, you know, not 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 loving LinkedIn's, the, yeah. you know, having that AI application yet. And I, yeah. I mean, I find that I'd prefer to write my own posts when it's coming me from too. from me, you know. Me too. Yeah. But obviously, AI is really good for very functional copy. But if it's a if it's my opinion, I kind of want it to be my opinion. So you know. totally <laughs> good, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. Lovely to chat. Do you want to hang on and we'll have a quick debrief? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having having me. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.